Welcome to the Parkway Live Church Podcast. Thank you for taking time to let God's Word impact you. Always encouraged to know God is touching lives through this ministry. Please visit parkwaylive.com to let us know. You can also hit the giving tab to sow into the ministry that you are experiencing. Now, prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. today I want to preach to you a little bit about the vision of Viber. Can I do that? Can I tell you the vision that God has put on my heart? We're gonna, I'm just going to start out with our, our, you know, our theme verse for, for Vibrant, if you don't mind. It's John 8 and 12. And if you want to throw that up on the screen, we'll just dig right into this. Our vision is this is living. Look at your neighbor and tell them this is living. Well, this scripture, this is, this is our entire vision right here. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the what? The light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If you follow Jesus, you'll never be in darkness. Amen. You'll never be in darkness, which is a good thing because darkness is scary, right? How many of you, when you were a kid, you were scared of the dark, right? Okay. The rest of y'all telling a story right now. Okay. All right. How many of you are adults and you're still scared of the dark? Okay. All right. Now I got some honest people in the house. Okay. So when I was a kid, all I needed was a little nightlight, okay? Give me a nightlight, and I was good. Yeah, don't judge me right now. Don't do this. Don't go to No, I needed a little nightlight. Some of you guys, you know, like Ethan, he, uh, we love to play hide-and-go-seek in our house. But anytime I go hide in the dark, he just won't go in there. He's just, I, I'm going to, that room is just, I'm not going. He's so, he doesn't like that dark, doesn't like it. How many of y'all in your bed, you know, when you, you're in the middle of the night, and you got to go to the restroom, right? And when you get out of the bed, you don't just kind of, like you, first of all, you never put a foot off the edge of the bed, right? Because something might get you, right? Anybody? Anybody? But then when you get out of the bed, you're going to make sure you're going to hop out of the bed to make sure you're going to miss anything that might come out. Okay, I'm just by myself. But darkness can be scary. Darkness can be scary, but it's crazy the difference that a nightlight would bring. Just a little bit of light changes everything. Just a little bit of light changes everything. You put on just a little bit of light, and it can change your entire perspective. See, all through Scripture, you can see that light was contrasted by darkness. In the beginning, God spoke and said, let there be light. Let there be light. And and he separated the darkness from the light and the night from the day. And all throughout the Bible, God is called light. He is referenced to be the light. And And our spiritual enemy, Satan, is called the prince of darkness. He's called the prince of darkness. There's a contrast between light and darkness. In fact, when when Jesus was talking in, in Acts 26, verse 17 and 18, he said, Yes, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light. That they may turn from the darkness, contrast where they are to something better. Turn from something to something better. We see that contrast between darkness and light when Jesus makes this life-changing statement. When he says in John 8 and 12, he says, I am. Look at your neighbor and tell him, I am. The light of the world. The light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I love that if you're on your Bible app, that was the verse of the day yesterday. And believe it or not, I didn't just write this yesterday, okay? This is, I love it. It was just perfect confirmation for me personally. But if you've grown up anywhere around the church, you've heard that scripture before. And, 
and you've read it. And, and, but I found that most people don't know the context in which that scripture was written and the context in which Jesus actually said those words. That statement actually came after one of the greatest grace-filled stories in the Bible. And as soon as I tell you what story it is, you know instantly what it is. He made that statement um, after, that he, after the, the experience of the woman caught in adultery. The woman caught in adultery. It was right after that story that Jesus made that statement, I am the light of the world. So when we look back at John 8, we can't just start out at verse 12. We've got to go back to the beginning of it and give, it, give ourselves context of why Jesus was saying, I am the light. I want to break it down and, and, and we're going to look at it. We're going to look at it three ways, okay? And we're going to give you three things because that's what all good preachers do. And uh, <laughs> we're going to say it this way. The law, the love, and the light. Say it with me. Say the law, the love, and the light. That sounds like a bad Lifetime movie, but we're going to roll with it today. Okay? We're going to roll with it. The law, the love, and the light. The first thing that we've got to understand is that the law reveals our guilt the law reveals our, our guilt that's what it does everybody knows that the law reveals our guilt we find out in, in john 8 it starts out like this i'll just kind of we'll follow along in the story uh, as jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him he sat down to teach them the teachers of the law the pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery they made her stand before the group. So let's talk about that. Let's break that. Let's pause that for a moment and acknowledge what's going on. A Pharisee or two, a very self-righteous, legalistic man uh, caught a, a couple in the act. Okay, They caught a couple and, and there's a married guy and a woman and, and evidently they burst in and they dragged the woman out. I notice here that the guy is not held accountable, just the woman and there's a double standard there. But is the woman guilty? Yes. Wrong? Yes. But then they drug her out in front of the crowd to tell everybody about her sin. It's very likely in that moment, to be honest with you, without being graphic, that she may have not been clothed. Maybe she had, was able to just grab a sheet and cover herself. But they drug her out in public and they humiliated her beyond belief. Without any shadow of a doubt, this is the darkest, most shame-filled, humiliating moment of her life when they ask her, Jesus, should we stone her like the law says? And, and read on in verse 5, it says, he says, this is the law. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman, to stone her. Now, what do you say, Jesus? They're asking him. In verse 6, it says, they're using this question as a trap. At, to have basis for accusing him. They wanted to catch Jesus and trap Jesus. Let me just tell you, trapping Jesus is never going to work out. Right? Now, the, what they were saying was true. In the law of Moses, if you get caught with adultery and you, you, you get stoned, and I'm not talking about in Colorado, you get stoned. Okay? Like with rocks, you get stoned to death. But what they were saying was true. But they were trying to use the question to corner Jesus and they would ask him, Jesus, what do you say about this? They were trying to trap him because if he says, yeah, go ahead and stone her, he becomes the one that doesn't love anymore. But if he says, no, 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 not this time, 
She's going to be okay. Just let her go. Jesus becomes the one that approves of adultery and, and, and abolishes the law of Moses. So Jesus, they try to trap him in a corner and put him in a bind here. Jesus next is going to do something really, really significant. But before we get there, I don't want to miss this main point that the law reveals our guilt. Me and you, the law reveals our guilt. Every one of us, we are, a guilt, we are guilty. We are the guilty party. We are sinners, every one of us. In fact, I don't have the time to do it today, but if you want to find evidence of that, just go back to the simplest of, of lists, the Ten Commandments. If you want to go back to the simplest of lists, have anybody in here ever dishonored your mother and father? Has anybody in here ever lied? I won't make you raise your hand because everybody that didn't raise your hand, you're going to be lying then, okay? I, I, Every one of us have sinned and we've fallen short, but the law has revealed our guilt. Now, we're sinners, but we have to understand that going into this. We have to understand it, that we are sinners. The reason we have to understand this, and if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. It's very important because until we see ourselves as sinners, we won't see our need for a Savior. Until we see ourselves as broken, as flawed, we don't see a need to be fixed or made new. We don't see a need for a God that can come in and change us if we feel like we're not flawed. The law reveals our guilt. The law said that this woman was guilty. The law says that she's guilty. But thank God it doesn't stop with the law. Thank God it doesn't stop with the law. The law reveals our guilt, but if you're taking notes, the second step of this process is that the love reveals God's grace. The love reveals God's grace. We see, that, we see this through Jesus in verse 6. They're trying to trick him and trap him. And verse 6 says, but Jesus, he's kind of ignoring the question, right? He, he bent down and he started to do what? He started to write in the dirt with his finger. Now, this is crazy, this whole process, right? This whole process of Jesus bending down. At their, they're like, Jesus, do we stone her or do we not? The law of Moses said we should stone her. Jesus doesn't say a thing. He bends down and he just starts writing in the sand. You know, it's much like my son when we finish eating. I tell him, hey, I, I want you to go wash your hands or when we're getting ready to eat, either or. I tell him, go wash your hands. And my son's like, hey, Dad, look at this really cool train. That's not what I asked you, son. Go wash your hands. Well, Dad, look at this really cool tow truck. That's not what I asked you, son. These Pharisees are getting even more frustrated with Jesus as he doesn't answer the question. And he bends down and he begins to write in the sand. Now, what did he write? What did he write? That's the biggest question of this entire story. The answer is, we don't know for sure. A lot of scholars believe and there is some evidence towards the fact that Jesus possibly wrote down the sins of the men that were accusing her. The reason many people believe that is because the manuscripts actually say that. And, and since Jesus is God in the flesh and he already knows everything, it's very possible that Jesus was standing there kneeling down, writing a record of the men who were accusing this woman. Verse 7 says, 
When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up. I love that. I love that. Jesus straightened up. Almost like, come at me, boy. Right? Y'all going to get frightened? Come at me. Jesus straightened up and says, let any one of you who are without what? Without what? Sin. If, you have, if you've never sinned, you can pick up a rock and be the first one to throw it. Now, again, in the Greek language, the words translated without sin, I know I'm digging deep. Hang on. Stay with me. I'm going somewhere. It does, it, it's translated without sin, but that doesn't just mean without sin. It also means without even wanting to sin. So what Jesus was telling them that day is that you can throw the first stone if you've never sinned or never wanted to sin ever. How many of us have stones in our hands? None of us like to admit guilt, right? None of us like to admit guilt. None of us. How many of us have had stones in our hands? Figurative stones, not real stones. That's illegal. But figurative stones to throw them at people. When the whole time Jesus might have been writing in the sand for somebody else. You know, it's like, it's like me and Carmen. I love my wife. She, we have been married 12 years or 13 years. Tw I'm pretty close. I, I'm close. I'm in the area. It's good. 12 years. And um, we're just going to go with that. But my wife, I love her. She's beautiful. She can sing. My God, she can sing. Athleticism is not exactly her gift. I didn't marry her for her athletic prowess, and that's okay. Um, and, and, and she's gifted in so many areas. She's amazing and, and, and all that. But one of the things that she's not the best at is and being on time. Okay? I, I just got it. I got it. She's laughing because she knows it's true right now. But she, she could be late from time to time. I mean, every now and then, every, every event. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm just kidding. I love you, babe. I love you. But so I give her the hardest time about being late. I'm like, babe, we got to go. Like, I, I'm just sitting there. I'm looking at my phone. I'm like tracking. I got to go. It's time to go. Right, I do all this. Well, we had this little thing that happened last week um, in which we were moving from Mississippi to Texas. And um, we were supposed to leave at, at 6 a.m., I think. We were supposed to leave at 6, and we didn't get to leave till 6.30, and I was all frustrated. I'm like, hey, let's go. We got to go. We got to get on the road. We got to get 10, 10 hours. Got to unload. We got to unpack. We got to do all these things. I'm like, come on, babe. Let's go. We get on the road, and Carmen goes ahead of me. She goes ahead of me and my father-in-law. He had the big truck, and because... Uh, you know, she's pregnant. She's got a three-year-old. She's going to do a lot of stopping, right? So th they're going ahead. And, and, and just to kind of give you the short version of the story, me and my father-in-law, we stop. We're about 30 minutes behind her or something. We stop at a, a truck stop, and I got to get a phone charger. My father-in-law's vehicle didn't have a phone charger. And long story short was I ended up getting, I plugged in the phone charger, and it didn't work, Pastor. I'm already frustrated. I'm late. I got to go back in and return the phone charger and get another phone charger. And I plugged the phone charger in. Finally, this one works. My father-in-law had gone on. I was literally the last one in the, in the pack, which made me mad, right? I'm the last one in the pack. Y'all, I, I, so I get in the car. I'm slamming the car, turning the door. I'm like, let's go. I pull out of the parking lot, and I get on the interstate, and I'm just going. I'm like, I, you know, Lord bless the police officers. There was none of them that day because I just, I was going, right? Well, then I get on the phone with my wife, and I start to realize she starts to tell me the mile marker she's at. And her mile markers are going less, and my mile markers are going more. And I said, hold up. I said, baby, I got to go. Before I realized it, I was 60 miles off track behind my family. 
your boy had gone from Louisiana back into the state of Mississippi. My point is this. How many times do we pick up stones when every one of us are guilty? How many times do we pick up the stone to the person that maybe just not like us in the store or maybe has a different cultural upbringing or background than I have? We pick up the stone because they're different when in reality they struggle with the same sin that I struggle with. If you're without sin, you can throw that first stone. Jesus gets very serious. He straightens up and he says in verse 80, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Verse 9, at this, those who, began, uh, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until Jesus was left with just the woman, woman standing there by herself. So he's riding on the ground and one by one they walk away. And Jesus and this woman, this sinful woman, this woman that was guilty, this woman that the law had condemned, he straightened up to her and he says, woman, where are they? No one has condemned you. Look at this grace. Has no one condemned you? Jesus looked at this broken woman with the most grace-filled, love-laced words in history. He says, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. There's somebody walked in here today that had been in the middle of darkness. You know, they say the most, the, the, the most popular time for suicide in our country is in the middle of Thanksgiving and Christmas. People are walking in constant darkness, trying to fulfill the needs of their flesh by buying more things or getting more things. And when they realize it, that it doesn't meet the need, that the, the hole in their spirits that only God can fill. Today, look at me when I tell you, you may be struggling, you may be in the middle of darkness. Neither do I condemn you. Jesus is looking at you today, struggling maybe in your sin, maybe in your family problems, maybe in your relationship issues. And Jesus is saying, neither do I condemn you. The law, the law reveals your guilt, but his love reveals his grace. And I'm so thankful for grace and mercy today. Can you clap your hands and let him know you're thankful? Now, don't get me wrong, there is an accuser. There is an accuser. His name is Satan. Revelation 12 calls him the accuser. Calls him by name. You can put it down. He's going to hurl insults and accusations against you. Some of you, you know them well. Just like the voice that says, after what you did, God will never have you back. After how bad you did, God will never forgive you. After all you've done in your life and your past, you're never going to make a difference in this world. After what you did, you'll never have a good marriage. You blew it. It's over. It's over. Your kids are never going to respect you again. That's the voice of the accuser. That's the voice of the accuser. And one thing I know for sure is that the voice you listen to will determine the future that you experience. 
every time and twice on Sundays. The voice that you listen to will determine the future you, that you experience. If you choose to listen to the voice of accusation, you will live a life that's full of guilt and shame and condemnation. But if you choose to listen to the voice of love and of grace, you will find true, vibrant life in Jesus. I'm telling you what today, I am passionate. Was, was, was she guilty? Yeah, she was guilty. Did she deserve punishment? Yeah, she did. But it was because the love that was revealed that day. The love that was revealed because of his love. She deserved the punishment, but she didn't get it. What does he say next? It leads us on to our third part. Okay, you've been forgiven. Go and try your best to not sin again. No. It wasn't like, okay, you've been forgiven. Now try not to go sleep with any more married men. <laughs> Just attempt. Just try not to. It's like many of us, you know, if fellas in the room, God may say, it's, it's not very similar to this situation. It's not like God would say, okay, you're forgiven of pornography, but... You know, just try not to watch it this week because you're a red-blooded man and that's just going to happen. That's just what happens in the... No. That's not what Jesus says there. He says, go and leave your life of sin. Leave it. Walk away from it. You've got to drop it. There's a sense of urgency to this. Jesus says, go now. Go now. It's urgent. Go now, not later. Now. You can be free. You can have hope. There is hope for real life. But you've got to be able to leave your sin. You've got to leave your past. The same voice that spoke to her, I believe, will, will speak to many of us. Go now. You can be free. You don't have to have condemnation. You don't have to be locked in the darkness of sin. Go now. In a crowd this size, I know that there are people that are struggling with darkness. And as I'm talking about it, you're saying, Michael, that is me. That is me. I need God. Listen, I'm telling you, hope is here today. I'm telling you today, you can have that freedom. You can have that hope. You can have that true life. But you've got to be willing to offload the sin. You've got to be willing to offload the heaviness. You've got to be willing to offload the depression and anxiety that, that has just taken over your life and your spirit. You've got to be willing to offload that. This leads us to our final part of what Jesus was saying here. The third thing, if you're taking notes, this is the entire message. This is, if you want to know the vision of Vibrant Church, it's this statement right here. The light reveals our hope. The light reveals our hope. Verse 11, Jesus says, go now and leave your life of sin. He was saying, hey, you ain't got to live in darkness. You can be different. You don't have to hurt like you were hurting. You don't have to live in shame. You don't have to do all this. You can be different. Go and leave your sin. Why? Because the very next verse the very next verse, Jesus says, Jesus spoke again to the people and he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness because they will have the light of life. Check this out. This is so powerful. Don't miss this. This is the point of the whole story of the adulterous woman. When Jesus looked at her and he said, neither do I condemn you. 
at that moment, Jesus changed from the light of the world to the light of her world. He changed from the light of the world to the light of my world. Where the law revealed my, my sin and, and my guilt, his love revealed the grace. Then his light revealed hope for true life, for true joy. It's different. It's, it's the very same way the grace and the presence of our loving God, who is the light, you personalize this message for you. He's no longer just the light of the world, of the earth, of, of the universe. He's the light of your world. He's the light of your family. He's the light of your marriage. He's the light of your kids. He's the light of your world. You know, for us, our vision is that when the hopeless receive the light of Jesus, they become hope to somebody else that needs that same light. Musicians, come, please. They receive that same hope that they were given. When the hopeless receive the light of Jesus, he becomes our light and something amazing happens. When we receive that light, he lights our world. Things change. Things are illuminated. We see things differently. We begin to do things differently. Jesus becomes your personal light and your personal God. In 2017, many of you know the story. I hate to bring some of you back through this. In 2017, we were serving here at Parkway Life Church, loving life. And Hurricane Harvey came through. Many of you know, and all of you know, many of you were serving here with this, this amazing church when it was a shelter. I remember being over in the, the old building that was, it looks so amazing now. But at the time, it didn't. I remember being over in the old building and rain continued to fall. And I would walk outside of the little portico right there and I would peek my head around and I would watch the water rise into our home. Knowing the things that were going on inside. And I, to be honest, I received inspiration only from one man that day, from Brandon Pippen. Watching that man serve people on crutches. If that man can have hip replacement and, and, and serve, I, I can serve. I would come back in and, and I would begin to just love on people and serve and serve and serve and serve. Until the, it, we knew it got real when the army truck showed up, right? And they started loading people into the back of huge army trucks. And they're like, okay, y'all got to go. We got to move the shelter and we got to go. The shelter moves over to Woodcrest, which is amazing. Great church. Amazing-hearted people. The, the shelter begins to operate, and people are serving, and everything is great, and, and people are coming in there. But one by one, many of you were out on boats, and you were helping rescue people out of homes. And I'm sorry. It just takes me a minute to walk through this because it's... It's unbelievable. You're, many of you were on boats going to people's homes and 
and you would literally take the hand of somebody that was hopeless, lost everything that they'd ever owned, and you take them into a boat and you took them to the shelter. I was involved in that process, and we would, they would come to the shelter, and, and the thing that, that is my vision for Vibrant happened right in the middle of that shelter that day. There was one, one particular day I, we were over in the shelter when we were serving, and, and um, in fact, I had, we had gone over to sing some worship songs that day, and we were singing them. One of the people walked up to me and they were like, oh my gosh, you guys are amazing. And I was like, thank you so much. And um, they asked me about my home and they started, and I started to tell them and they had lost their home and, and I was, we started just connecting. And this person was hopeless a few days ago and they had come in to this shelter and they began to experience love and community in Christ that they had never experienced. Never. They had never come to a church. Never. Unbelievably. And the Bible built in the middle of Texas had never come to a church, but they had come to that shelter. And we started talking. We started talking about the singing. And, and we, somehow we got on the point of my guitar that I had owned was in my home. And we, I lost my guitar that day. And I was using the church's guitar, using somebody's guitar. And, and uh, they were like, oh, my gosh, that's terrible. That's terrible. Well, I was like, you know what? God's good. Uh, all is well. We, we're alive. We got our health. We got family. We've got a great church where God is great to us. The next day I'm there and I'm serving and, and Alan Smith, who's running the shelter, he calls me into the office and he says, Michael, you got to come in here. I got something you, you need to see. I was like, okay, I go in. And I walk into that office that day and that same lady who I'd been speaking with that day after we sang was standing there next to a, an acoustic guitar on a stand. And she said, somebody in my family had this, and they want, I wanted to give it to you. This lady who had just lost everything that she owned, Pastor, had no hope. No hope, nothing. She came into community with Christ, experienced the grace and the love of Jesus through the church, through the shelter. And she became ho the hope to a pastor. The hopeless, the ones hopeless became the hope. I received that guitar with open arms. Was it the nicest guitar I've ever seen in my life? Absolutely not. But it was the, my, my, my favorite guitar I'd ever been given that I'd ever seen because it was so significant to me. You want to know what our vision is for Vibrant Church? Our vision is this. I took that same acoustic guitar that I was given, and before I left Mississippi, I gave it to a family that I baptized the mom and the dad and the kids, and I married the family, and I gave that guitar to their kids because their kids want to be involved in worship. And I gave that, I gave that guitar to them because their family was once hopeless, and I want them to be able to the hope, be the hope to somebody else. See, so many people go through this process of, yes, the law reveals your guilt. The, the law reveals my guilt. The love reveals our, the, the God's grace, and that's amazing. But too many people stay right there. And they don't go on to the light reveals the hope. You know what we're called to do to, to be as the church? 
We're not called to come every Sunday and sing a bunch of cool songs and hear a bunch of great messages. We're called to be the hope. We're called to let the light shine out into the darkness. See, here's the truthful thing is that the darkness can never overcome light. No amount of darkness could ever overcome even a candle of light. But a candle of light can light another candle of light, can light another candle of light, and another light of light, and light of light, and light of light, and before you know it, darkness is defeated. Today, I'm telling you today, in North Houston, Spring, Texas, was one of the most affected places by Hurricane Harvey. One of the most affected places in Houston with Hurricane Harvey. There are a bunch of people here and there that are living in darkness that just need hope. That just need to know they understand that they're guilty. They understand that the law has told them they're guilty. But they need the grace of God and they need hope that only comes from the light of Jesus. And we're called to give them and show them that light today. See, the light gives us purpose. The two most important days of your life is number one, the day you were born. Number two, the day you figured out why you were born. And the light of Jesus, the hope of Jesus, gives us that purpose. Today, vibrant life is about finding purpose in Jesus and living it out the brightest way possible. Because I know that bright lights bring attention. Amen? Bright lights bring attention. Would you stand with me? Would you stand? We're going to sing here in a moment. I thank you so much for hearing me. My vision for vibrant, but let me make it personal to you right now. Let me make it personal. On a Thanksgiving weekend where if we were honest, we would all probably say that we ate too much. Amen. We would all say that. We got full in our bellies, but if we were honest about it, we might would say that we're empty in our hearts. No matter where you're at in this process, you have a next step. You have a next step that you've got to take. Maybe you're new to, to following Jesus and you're at the step of you've realized that the law has revealed your guilt. You've got to take the next step. You've got to realize that the grace reveals his love. Amen. Maybe you've experienced the grace of God. And you've, you've been coming to Parkway, and, and Parkway is your home, and it's your home church. You need to take that next step. You need to take that next step. His light reveals the hope. His light in you reveals the hope. You need to start serving on a dream team. You need to go through growth track. You need to take your next step in Jesus. You need to start letting God use you and fulfill the purpose that he's given you. Here's what I want us to do. pastor's going to come in a moment, we'll sing, and we'll We'll do all that. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the hand of your neighbor right next to you. Close your eyes across this room. Can we pray this prayer today? Jesus, I love you. I realize I'm a sinner. I realize I have issues. But today I come realizing your grace 
is bigger than my issues. And your light is bigger than my darkness. Today I find hope, life, and joy in you and only in you. I surrender my life, my heart, my family, all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to tell you right now that there is hope in this room. There is hope. There is life. There is joy. Some of you have been trying to find that joy. You've been searching, trying to fill the hole in your heart. I'm telling you, Jesus can, Jesus can beat the darkness. Jesus defeats the darkness. And he's the light in this room today. If you believe that right now, I wish you'd throw your hands up in the air. And I wish you would wit just ask Jesus to be your light today. God, I pray that you would light our world. God, light my world today. I surrender to you, God. Light my world. Jesus, I love you. I surrender to you today, God. I love you, Jesus.